Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Peyton Jenkins, president and co-founder of Alton Lane, the 14-year-old menswear brand best known for custom suiting. Last year, Alton Lane became the exclusive menswear partner of Beholden, Anthropology's popular bridal brand, and I've just discovered it launched a TikTok in the last two months. I wanted to ask Peyton about the brand's growth and marketing strategies and about the current state of the suiting market. Are men still dressing up? Welcome, Peyton. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Hey, you're dressing up. I am. I am <laughs> yes. dressing up. Do you do you wear a suit every day? Um, I wear a version of um, suiting every day. So yeah. um, it's just changed, right? And But the idea of being polished, I think, is more relevant than ever. And so I have uh, some version of Alton Lane every single day. As you should. Let's circle back. 2009, you guys have been around for a bit. What got you into the suiting business? Great question. As a person, yourself, yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, I have been described as a combination of um, Manute Bull, the tallest ever NBA player, and a jockey. So I'm not sure that's a, a huge compliment, but um, what it does mean is I'm very difficult to fit. Um, one of my best friends from college um, had a similar issue, and we, you know, we're, I think, frankly, we're, we're guarded by not knowing what we didn't know. We had no idea how hard it is to start something, period, especially in, in this industry. And, um, and we saw a entry in 2008, if you kind of track back to what was happening economically, not all that different than some of the headlines now. And we saw that there were a lot of people that didn't have jobs anymore that were vying for a very small set of jobs. And we just, we noticed that there was, among other things, there was this trend of self-presentation awareness. And um, we felt that gosh, we ourselves are kind of within that crowd and we had no fashion background, no apparel background. And we loved the idea of a challenge. And we thought that at the time, nobody was focused on experiential retail. I shouldn't say nobody, but but not like they are today. And we thought, wow, if we could combine these two things of better access to fit, um, uh, better supply chain, and through a like much better experience, there was something there. So that was that was the the real origin, and we just ran with it and kept on running. And the idea was to do this all IRL in stores, yeah. Yes, um, in store and online. And so at the time, you know, there's so much AI, and I'm sure we'll we'll kind of cover some of that today. But there's so much AI now that it's hard to think even 15 years ago how little there was within the e-commerce space, and so. We actually are, truth be told, the original idea was let's do this all online. We started getting into it and we're like, ooh, this is hard to do custom online. We're like, well, let's do stores while we uh, build out this online piece. And um, I I should qualify that our store was at 1133 Broadway, which is a 20-story building. We were on the 13th floor, uh, 12th floor, suite 1255 in 600 square feet. So it wasn't your typical store, um, but that's where we started. And we had a lot of success out of that tiny little space year one. Amazing. What was happening in the landscape at the time? It was uh, large chains, 
maybe you talked about the supply chain. Was it a slow process? Yeah. Um, was it, I don't know, a teenage associate uh, running yeah. the show, the experience? What was happening? Yeah, well, you know, terms like custom, bespoke, um, they're so, uh, in my opinion, overused now. Um, and um, But then the only way that you really heard about made-to-measure or c- custom bespoke suiting Access was super limited, right? So you had the ultra high-end um, experience of Savile Row. Then you had the um, uh, the kind of other end of the spectrum, which was like the Tom James of the world, where they would, you know, you they would travel to you, and it was a very sales-oriented model. And then somewhere in between was the independent, largely independent men's stores that had a a made-to-measure component. And so access to it was just completely disjointed. Um, and, um, and, it, and then when you then look at, okay, if you move away from custom, you're exactly right. It was, it was a large box. I mean, think about how powerful J crew was in 2009, so different, right. Um, than it is today. And, um, men were just starting to, and I don't think they realized it yet, but they were just starting to be aware of what fashion and trend meant to their day-to-day wardrobe. Because I think really before 2009, it was largely if you wear a dark suit, you wear a nice white shirt, you buy a Ferragamo or Hermes tie, and you wear Gucci loafers, it didn't matter if you knew how to dress or not. You looked the part, and it was simple. But as soon as you start getting outside of that and casualization starts to hit the workplace, I think people realized, oh, this is hard. And men, I think, in whole didn't want to acknowledge that. And that's sort of where we came in kind of the safe space to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So how are you getting the word out? How are people, I mean, I'm sure great word of mouth, but finding you on the on the 12th floor up there. Um, so uh, do you remember Urban Daddy by chance? Um, oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, yes. So Urban Daddy and Thrill List were like the market changers in um, creating viral moments before social media did. And at the time, they were competing heavily against each other in New York. Um, You know, there was a, you got an email a day and um, one day of the week was a fashion brand. One day of the week was a restaurant. And we hired a um, a, uh, a publicist, uh, Carla Nicotatis. She now has her own firm out of LA. One of my all-time favorite people. And she had her small little business and we thought she could get us out there and we knew we couldn't compete in a marketing perspective at that point. Like we, we had no money. Um, and so we barely scraped together enough to pay her. She was very kind, I'm sure extending credit on our behalf. And, um, but she landed us in, I believe it was November 21st, 2009. We had spent about almost a year putting our supply chain together. And, um, I kid you not, we had, probably two to 300, maybe a few more um, appointments booked within that first 48 hours. And it was kind of off to the gates uh, or out of the gates, off to the races. And um, to a certain extent, we've been playing catch up kind of ever since. Well, obviously opening a store, um, launching some really high-tech technology um, online, this is not cheap. Like, Did fundraising come into the mix early on? Yeah, so we assumed, hey, we we are we have 
decent pedigrees. We're going to work hard. We can talk to potential investors. Well, raising money is going to be super easy. Um, and we realized that um, it wasn't as easy as we thought, which, um, you know, looking back, I'm kind of grateful for, um, taught us a lot. And so we self-funded the business almost for the first two years. And, um, and that allowed us to get a um, proof of concept and to be we had opened our second store at that point in Washington, D.C., and um, uh, and that got us to a point where we could um, uh, talk to some of our customers. And we did. And so our first um, our first two rounds of fundraising were kind of across years three and four. And um, if memory serves correctly, they were all from. Yeah, it, it, they were. They were all customers or contacts from customers. And so it really became this this kind of early feeling of, you know, this industry is really hard. We're learning more about it every day, but kind of let's build this together. When did the amazing online experience come in? Did, was that a pandemic effect? Um, if we're going to sell suits, we got to do it online or did it happen prior? No, there, there, it's a great question. So there had been conversations from literally from day one about how do we change the game online. And um, as we got into it, we realized, especially in kind of the first three or four years, we were really good at opening, you know, what we're calling stores, but all that were kind of off the beaten path, um, you know, in good locations, but you kind of have to know where you're going to get there, kind of like speakeasy feel. And, um, and somewhere along the way, that just became our, that's how we were, that was our easiest, even though it wasn't easy, it was our easiest and kind of most um, uh, bettable path to growth. And um, in 2019, we, uh, my co-founder and I felt like we'd grown the business to a place that we were proud of, that we could probably attract an outside CEO who had done this before. And we did, found, got the former kind of head of commercial from Oakley and North Face. He came in. November of 19, great timing on his part. Um, and, um, and together we actually had February and January were the two best months we'd ever had. And then, um, of 2020 and COVID hit. And, um, I think we were probably more reticent to acknowledge the effects than we wanted to, but very quickly we made this assumption that, let's assume no one will ever want to be touched by a tape measure again. So what do we do? And really the only two, not to be overdramatic, but the only two possibilities were design something new or close shop, right? And so that's where we got to designing something new. And it was an amalgamation of years of conversations of, of different people. And but the the it, through it, what we've what we determined was, regardless of what happens coming out on the other side of the pandemic, if we could create something that you could design with or without a stylist, so online or in store, um, within a couple minutes and have it delivered in kind of an industry best turnaround, that's where our differentiation was going to be. And that's what we really work towards. And fortunately, we have a couple amazing um, supply chain partners where, you know, the typical turnaround is, you know, is anywhere but from five to eight weeks in our industry. And we said, we need to guarantee two weeks. And at the time, supply chains were light and they agreed to it and they saw the vision. And so 
this whole idea kind of came together with this tagline of design in two minutes delivered in two weeks. And um, that's what we're continuing to um, to grow on. And the technology behind it is really cool. So cool. Where is the supply chain happening? Where are your suits being manufactured? All over the world. So we have suit facilities in Portugal, Thailand, Vietnam, China. We have fabric from England, Italy, um, largely from England and Italy, some from Portugal. Shoes are made in Spain, belts in El Paso. The sweater I'm wearing is 3D printed in Brooklyn. Um, so we have a legitimately international supply chain. Oh my God. Did you set those up, establish those partners uh, remotely? Were you traveling? Were you braving the travel during that time? So my co-founder and I, our very first move was we bought tickets to Thailand. He had a connection there and um, that actually a, a younger guy um, or a guy, a guy a little bit younger than us that went to our same college and his family was in the fabric business in Thailand and they were our initial contact. And so we spent our first three or four months of the business living in Bangkok in a hostel. Um, uh, funny enough, they were actually filming um the hangover uh, when we were there. And so it kind of <laughs> felt like uh, the real life version of it. Um, and uh, we had a blast. We learned a ton. Um, and so every factory we have set up in person, um, except um, our largest partner now. And we met them uh, three months before the pandemic started, uh, three months before the pandemic in China started. And we have done, we have built a incredible relationship, 100% via Zoom. I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, but so we are we are actually going and meeting them the first time in three weeks. So I'm very excited for that. So cool. Well, it reminds me of I'm so old. Chuck Woolery. It'd be like back in two and oh, two, yeah. but two minutes, two oh, weeks. Yeah, I, look, I love a little Chuck Woolery. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but like, this is a lot. <laughs> it's a big promise. Um, two weeks. And also you guarantee the fit. Um, I mean, again, this is exceeding any, what any competitor is doing or that I've heard of, um, in terms of, yes, the, the known names in the direct to consumer world or that have emerged in the last 10 years. Um, how does your cost compare? Um, yeah. we, yeah. great, great question. Um, we, uh, we do not have as attractive margins as a lot of our producers or competitors. Um, and um, some of that is um, uh, some of that's purposeful. Some of that is just um, um, the fact that we are the way that we make the way that we ship. We're simply not going to um, attain some of these kind of larger quantity, you know, benefits, right. When we're making one off. Um, but, um, on the flip side, it, it sort of presses us to lean into the, um, kind of the endurance of a relationship with the customer. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned the guarantee fit, um, that's a really hard term to put in the market, um, because fit is so subjective, you can literally do everything right and somebody may hate it. And I could argue with that customer all day long that it fits the way, quote, it should. If he's not confident in it, we've lost. And so um, our we while, while we don't do the typical refund route, we will literally, if we have to remake something for a customer multiple times, 
then yeah, there's something wrong with that. That means we're not listening at some point, but we will. And, um, and so that is the commitment we give to the customer. Um, as a result, that may mean that we might not make money on the customer the first time around. Um, and, um, but we hope to over, you know, the balance of the relationship. And one of the ways that we've been able to, I think, make that a little bit more of an attractive marker for our brand, our investors is um, prior to COVID, we had a very, um, very specific wardrobe look, right? We, we really didn't extend into what we now call polished casual. We had to change that over COVID. And so, you know, we look at our customer is the, the nine to nine guy. He, uh, across the average day, he may have a meeting from, from home. He may have a lunch meeting out. He may have an event at the end of the day. Um, and he needs from nine to nine, he needs that kind of the, the core of his wardrobe. And so really anything within there that's not athleisure, we now cover. And that allows us to, especially using AI to, to, to be able to attain your, your fit across multiple product types very quickly. Um, that's one of our differentiators in the market now, for sure. Nice. I would think you have an amazingly loyal customer. Is it, does it work to the effect where, you know, this customer, maybe it didn't go so well the first time, you know, he likes his pants freakishly tight, whatever, but you've got his like data, his file in your system and you can just like for sure carbon copy, create it again. That's, that's the whole, um, I mean, you just you just hit on you perfectly on the the our goal for for scale and with the customer is that um, if you look at all of our competitors, small and large, um, very few of them actually have data on their real customer, right? They they have um, they have data on who's buying the credit card swipes, but they don't really understand all the ins and outs of um, of their customer from a fit and body type perspective, and so. We get all of that. Um, it's much harder to scale because it's one-on-one, right? And that that line between loyalty and and um, and and distaste for the brand is very thin. Because if we produce something for somebody's wedding and it is not exactly as they expected, or this happened a couple weeks ago, um, DHL straight up lost a giant shipment. Um, we couldn't deliver for the customer's wedding. So what we do? We went out and we actually bought. A really nice suit from a brand off the rack and delivered him two options for his wedding. And that customer probably won't purchase with us again. Um, and But we were still committed to him through it. On the flip side, he may realize, well, wow, nobody else in the market does that. Um, so I'm going to give him a shot. And once we get a fit on, on one thing and we it, it becomes a garment that you feel a little more confident in, we believe that by extending into that nine to nine wardrobe, and being able with just literally a couple questions to attain your range of fit with us, man, the ability to scale with you is huge. There's some products that you absolutely are going to be brand focused on. Sneakers, I love sneakers. I do have some Alton Lane shoes, but I'm, I'm often wearing a, you know, a pair of Nikes or Tacovas or something like that. Um, we probably won't get there with them, but for your pants, your shirts, your jackets, your sweaters, your outerwear... Um, those are things that I think that we can really kind of build a, a heavy base in in your closet. Yeah. What is happening online? It's it, like you mentioned questions. Uh, what's happening in those two minutes? Is there, is there um, 
uh, an associate. We hear a lot about virtual stylists or do men not shop like that? I don't have no idea. It's a great <laughs> question. Um, I can tell you that the way men shop is changing like as we speak. Um, traditionally, uh, so we offered our first virtual appointments in 2011 and we would, we actually bought a thousand webcams and we'd send you a webcam. Um, for the people that used it, it was successful, but guess how many men were comfortable doing that? Like none. So we, we stopped. Um, we do have some, we do have some virtual appointments today, but I think what you're getting at is if you, if you were to go online and just walk through it yourself, so there's no one, and um, we're um, there. There are three or four simple questions, basically height, weight, body type, um, and we have some questions of preferred sizing if you know it. But what it does is um, we've partnered with groups um, uh, that are uh, data metric companies. That's what they do, and we have taken their literally thousands and thousands of, of real human measurements for men ages between basically like 18 and, and, and 75. And we've then matched those with all of our customer measurements over time. We've anonymized them. And by getting to those three questions, height, weight, body type, we're able to give the customer a very specific range of fit that they are like most likely to fit in. To your point earlier, for a guy that wants mm. to wear something freakishly tight, he may still need to have some alterations to bring it in. Some guys are really classic, but you get to choose from a couple different fits. It updates in real time on the screen, um, and that process takes about 30 seconds. And then we have a very simple customization process where you can go through, you want a fun lining, piping, you know, a different color on your on your on your buttonhole thread. These ways to make it from your just wardrobe piece that you must have to like something that's personalized and a representation of your style and personality. Um, you can go through it in as quickly yeah. as a minute if you want to. If you want to spend, you know, 20, you can do that too. Um, and then, yeah, with, within 18 hours, it's guaranteed to be in production. And we, um, takes about six days to produce and, our shipping partners right now are averaging about seven days. They used pre-pandemic, they were about two and a half. So um, we think as things normalize, we can actually get it below two weeks, um, but we're gonna be, um, we'll be patient there. And But we're, we're trying to get it down to everything within 10 days, within like a year. Am I right? You have 14 store locations. What's your breakdown of um, online versus in-store sales? Uh, pre, pre-COVID, it was uh, like 99% uh, in-store. Um, our goal is to get that to be about 50% in store, 50% online. Um, and we are probably 15% online now, um, versus in store. Um, that being said, that number skewed a little high because what we are doing in store now is actually going through a process of adopting the same platform we use online. That's now becoming the platform we use in our store. And over the first half of this year, we're actually strategically bringing our customer in for that experience so that if we can train them how to use it in our store, they're going to be more comfortable using it online. We found that, um, you know, a $30 T-shirt is one thing, but buying a, a nice suit, blazer, custom online is another. And so there's still a mental hurdle that we are getting over with our customer. Um, but we've also partnered with several department stores to have this on their floor. Um 
And there's a real sustainability play here um, for department stores of being able to have, you know, all of these pieces at their fingertips that they don't have to hold inventory of, which is pretty cool as well. Yeah. What department stores are a fit? Yeah. So one of our best partners um, is Dillard's. Um, We have um, we started a partnership with them about a year ago. And, um, you know, we have a two foot by four foot by six foot tall um, fixture in their store, um, designed it for their space, customized it for, for kind of looks wise, what we think their, you know, their customer is. And what's great is that, um, we have, uh, 200 and some suit options and blazer options. Uh, we have another, uh, hundred some shirt options. And again, all of these are products that haven't been made yet. We're holding the fabric at our factory and, um, you know, it's like literally it's like having several million dollars of inventory in your pocket that the company's not having to sit on. And so as we think about how we grow, you know, we would love to have we would love to have this concept not only in department stores and help ease the their own balance sheet demands of, of having to hold inventory, but also um, being part of a sustainability program for, for stores and brands. But then also all the way down to you know, there's so many great local menswear stores, these kind of one-offs that um, it's harder and harder in a digital age for them to survive in their markets. And holding a bunch of inventory of suiting is not the highest and best use of their own asset. So if we can be a player there and help them to, you know, be a partner rather and help them to have, you know, literally hundreds of inventory options at only, you know, a week and a half to two weeks away from delivery, we get pretty excited about that. Definitely. At, at Dillard's, would you, as a so, an associate needed, is it a, a an iPad, a, yeah, a it's, screen? It's What's an, going it's on? A, it's an iPad um, with, uh, we have, uh, I think we've figured out how to put about 25 samples on the rack of, so that they can see um, different product. They can see the construction. We also have a couple fabric books for them that they can flip through. And um, it's uh, it's associate driven, um, and but we'd love to get to the point where um, and, and look a year ago this would sound crazy. It doesn't sound as crazy now, but so many department stores have so much that their square footage was based on like the pre COVID world, right? Based on the pre direct to consumer world, and there's so there's so much extra square footage. You know, if you walk into like a, a Sheets or a Wawa now or some of those those test stores at airports where there's no associate, there's no reason you can't have, you know, an 18 by 24 screen, a couple screens set up. Um, it asks you the same questions, a couple things on the wall. Um, you take advantage of what was or is some dilapidated real estate and you probably in the back of the store and you flip it and you turn it into this really engaging tech experience that is allowing you to be a differentiator in the space. Um, it's something that I get really excited about, and it's a project that I'm currently working on. And um, if you had said 14 years ago, you know, this was kind of could be part of the future of clothing, I, you know, I'd have told you you're crazy. Yeah, this it sounds exciting to me. We talk a lot about um, like a target enabling customization in terms of beauty products. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, but like honestly it's not quite as seamless. It's like you still have to like take home something, do a quiz and order it from home. It sounds really good. Yeah. Um you mentioned Dillard's. Yeah. Uh, um and I know that you have stores in New York. 
Um, but also, it seems to me a lot of your stores are kind of consolidated in the South. Do men yeah. in the South dress up more or how come? Uh, it's a good question. We've been asked that before. Um, so we definitely have a mid-Atlantic, Southeast um, uh, feel, I think, to the brand. Um we tend to know those markets well. I'm based in Richmond, Virginia. I started in New York, but um, um, I'm a, a Virginia kid, born and bred. And um, and I think that, um, you know, Richmond's an interesting city that is, it's kind of this touch point between the kind of mid-Atlantic and South. And it has this um, uh, varying different trends. And if you look at our customer base in Richmond, it's pretty cool. It's, it's all ages, all spectrum of ages, all spectrums of sizes. Certain guys that come in, there's this really cool Shaco brand in denim called Shaco Atelier. They come in with their, you know, $300 Shaco Atelier, you know, salvage denim, and they get really cool blazers to match with it, right? And then we have kind of the classic lawyer. And um, my point is, is that a lot of these mid-Atlantic and southern markets um, tend to have a little bit of that mix. Um, you know, the Raleigh's, the Charlotte's, the Greenville's. Um, the Charlestons, they, they kind of are in this expansion mode of who are we, you know, and there are a lot of different styles coming in and we tend to understand how to play well to those. Um, and in that kind of nine to nine kind of polished, casual to formal environment, these are markets that I think do that within, um, a, I'll call it kind of a traditional with a asterisk to it. And that asterisk being that they're kind of moving, everybody's kind of moving a step forward in it. And so the people on the kind of outer edge or even further forward, the, the, the folks, maybe like my father, that was very cla- wonderful dresser, but very classic. Um, even he's going with, you know, something more fitted now. Um, we've had stores outside, a few stores outside of um, this area. And at the time we had a store in San Francisco for four years um, and it did fine. Um, what we wanted to do was use that as an expansion for, um, as the base for a West Coast expansion. And just being very candid, we didn't have the product set at the time to satisfy that customer. Um, and uh, it wasn't that our customer didn't like our product, it's that I think they just frankly didn't need it. And so now we've looked at expansion as, um, Let's not just think that expansion is only physical storefronts, right? Let's not get into that like cost trap, potential cost trap. But as we expand, do we, can we, you know, reasonably satisfy the dress needs and wants of customers in that market? And if we're not very quickly to say absolutely, then that city goes on ice and then we look at, all right, does that, is that a, is that an area where we need to grow? Do we need to add those products? Um, so that's kind of how we'll look at it forward. Um, um, I hesitate to say if men in the South, you know, dress better. Um, I have a lot of old school, uh, uh, wonderful customers of ours that I can hear in my head saying, of course, I think they just <laughs> traditionally dress a little more um, tailored you know, in a, in a traditional sense. And what we've seen post COVID, it's been the region, the mid Atlantic and the Southeast have been the two regions that have most quickly gone back to that kind of tailored with a twist um, style. Nice. Well, tell me about the importance of wedding season or I oh, guess yeah. just weddings in general. And is it like prime time? Oh, it still is. And it's going to be, um, for a while. Um, you know, um, I think that, 
you know, people have asked me like, are you, are you worried about a recession? And I'm like, well, I think as a human being, of course, as a business, we made it through COVID. I, I hesitate to say now that it can't get worse because COVID proved that it could, but, um, but you know, Regardless of the recession, there is so much pent up demand in um, events, um, weddings. And then you think about how, um, you know, commercialized the wedding season has become that, you know, there's 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 dinners, there's engagement parties, there's trips. Um, and we, we try to play into all that. And so um, as COVID started to uh, wane and, and people are you know, getting out again, what really kept us going was weddings um, and being able to um, being able to provide quick turns for people, being able to frankly be open. Um, a lot of our competitors didn't have product ready for it. You know, those supply chains closed. And um, that's when we met um, the folks at Beholden. And it was just a perfect match. Um, the Beholden woman is very much um, uh uh, engaged to, married to, hangs out with that Alton Lane man, and um, and it was um, it was a it was a great match, and it showed us it gave us access to not just the groom but also to the bride, and it was a really fun um, uh, first couple shoots that we did with them, and from then the the engagement and wedding season has not stopped. You know, traditionally pre COVID we would have a big run from like February to maybe late May for some of the more temperate climates, but then it would start again like August to October. We have people literally throughout the year now coming in for their wedding suits. Um, and what we try to do is use our spaces and use our, our, our stylists to create experiences where bring in your father-in-law, bring in your dad, bring in your groomsmen and just really do the entire, you know, wedding party together. And um, those are some of the more, um, I mean, those are some of the more fulfilling moments for us. And I, I think we have enough marketing for the next five years of just organically, you know, pulled, you know, wedding photos. Yes. Would you say tuxedos are a high percentage of your sales or do you put a number around it? So it's interesting. Um, I don't have a number, a uh, specific number, or I would tell you um, pre-COVID um, it was uh, the majority um, of wedding, of wedding outfits. Um it is still a high, uh, it was a higher number post COVID than I expected it to be. Um, but the, tr I'll tell you what has dropped off the, the traditional black tuxedo has dropped off significantly. Um, we see even the most style resistant dude love a like bold blue tuxedo and I love it. Um, but we've seen now for the, for the guy that this is the best way to describe it. The guy that was ultra classic is, a, is, is willing to step out of the box. The guy that was already out of the box is willing to kind of take a gamble. And the guy that was willing to take a gamble is like ready to go bold. And with all of our different fabric options, we actually get to hit every single one. And so we might have a groom that wants to go bold. We give him an awesome dinner jacket, you know, killer trousers to match, great shirt, tie. And then he does a midnight blue tuxedo for his groomsman, right? And so it's this... It's this nice balance. And I love it because as that pendulum swings out to more style, it gets people more comfortable, you know, expressing themselves through clothes. And frankly, you know, men largely, that just hasn't been something that they that they do or, or necessarily put a lot of thought to. And maybe even in certain circles, real macho circles feel like they can't. And now the tide has kind of turned where 
it's almost if you're not paying attention to that, you're now kind of outside of the the majority. And so it's it's weird how the majority has gone to the minority and flipped in this kind of style pendulum swing. Totally. I mean, the world is turning upside down. Um, <laughs> exactly. <but laughs> tell me about, I guess, based on the success of the Beholden Partnership, um, your marketing mix, are you more so, or did you see the opportunity there to, I guess, get in front of the bride or get in front of the girlfriend or the wife? Um, and, or has that always been a play for you? Well, it's always been a hope. Um, it's, uh, it's hard to, uh, well, as you know, marketing's hard, you know, full stop. Um, but it's also hard for us to, if we felt like if we were doing marketing specifically for the bride, does that completely turn off the groom or, or vice versa? Is there an in-between? Um, um, you know, the, there's a reason that Bride Magazine is successful, and I don't know if Groom Magazine even exists, right? And, um, and so, um, so it's always been a real challenge for us, and I don't know if we've been successful in the past. Um, what we have done with Beholden is um, – be able with those photo shoots to create a visual environment that I think the best way to put it, whether you're getting married or not, um, whether you are married or not, whether you even want to be, they tend to be visual experiences that like anyone would be like, I'd love to be at that party. I'd love to be at that place. And so that's where we're trying to do more of is to, and that's why if you track us, you see a lot of our own, um, a lot of our photography is, is our own customers' weddings. We're just trying to show moments that we'd all love to be part of. Um, and I think overall with marketing, we've realized with COVID that um, if we, if we want to play against like the biggest competitors in the space from the suit supplies to, um, to even to like the, the J crews and the, even the department stores of the world to, to the LVMH brands, we will have to raise so much money to dedicate just to that. And even then, they're probably smarter and better than us there because they've been doing it longer. And so what we've tried to do, you mentioned TikTok at the beginning. Um, we've just tried to, we are, um, I don't know if we're as funny as we think we are, but um, but we, as a, as, a, as a group of people, we tend to take what we do seriously and not take ourselves too seriously. And so um, we, our um, head of creative really pushed for this and we got behind it. And it's like, let's just kind of use, let's let Instagram, TikTok, our marketing be a reflection of kind of our personalities. And so I just, it was his idea. And I just threw up this thing of dressing in five different look, five different suits that could create like 72 different looks. Um, that thing got a half a million views over the first couple of weeks and um, we're like, Oh, that's interesting. So then we started throwing in like clips of like the hangover and from, uh, I was a big WWF fan back in the day. I apologize <laughs> for that, but clips of Ric Flair and, 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 and then combining that as well with like these images of places and, and events you want to be part of. And, and, and also with, we, we've just launched a blog on, um, instead of taking a very highbrow approach to what menswear is, kind of like the the questions that you probably want answered, but you either feel too dumb or you're too nervous to ask. And so I guess the best way to put it is we're just, we're trying to create an environment that is kind of all access, all inclusive for like wherever you are on the 
the style, size, age, income stream that we can kind of be a playground for kind of everyone within within a pretty large um, pretty large demographic. Yeah, I've heard from brands that they're um, when they're looking for somebody to run their TikTok, um, you know, they're not looking for a social media expert. Some people put the word <laughs> comedian in there. Totally. Uh, who who is on your TikTok? He's fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. So um, that is uh, RJ. Um, he is our head of creative. RJ um, used to run all of that for uh, Oakley, um, North Face, um, uh, and others. And um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of who he is. Um, waking up in um, the first one we did, which was hilarious of him, like waking up to being told, hey, we're running TikTok. That was kind of the real life version. Our CEO basically said like, yeah, we're going to do it after like we were <laughs> hemming and hawing on it for a while. And, um, and you know, does that, uh, we have stylists in the field, right? And so one of the stylists first questions is going to be, how is that helping me drive an appointment today? And well, it might not be, um, but if we don't have a larger awareness in the market, you, your driving appointments today are going to always be more difficult. And so we we're, we're trying to find the mix. We're not perfect on it yet, but that mix between let's do things today that help close that individual that is deciding between us and XYZ brand for their wedding, but also doing things at the same time that are allowing us to create noise in places that our competitors are not. Um, because if, if all we, if we go back to our stylists and say, okay, we're going to, we're doing this big, uh, Google AdWord campaign and it's all about, um, wedding season, wedding season, wedding season. We'll, we'll, we'll have an, a return on the investment, but it won't be big because we're going to get, we're going to get outspent by all of our competitors. So, um, yeah, so this is our play, um, being us and doing it in spaces that people aren't focused on. And, um, so far, if you follow just, uh, metrics around number of followers and, and kind of Facebook, Instagram on uh, number of views, number of likes, forwards, reshares. Um, I mean, it's off the charts to what it was before. So I think there's something yeah. here. Yeah. Nice. Prior were you um, or prior to all of the new rules, was Facebook um, <laughs> more important and yeah. a large portion of your your budget there? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, Facebook was always um, a, a large portion and um, the new rules initially sort of wiped out our ability to play within Facebook. Um, and because it was just so, basically everything we've been doing with a certain degree of success now we couldn't do. And, you know, we're we don't have the team size or budget where we could just put a whole kind of team on figuring out, like, let's test a bunch of stuff. Let's dig in and figure it out super quick. Um, so um, over the past couple months, we've actually figured out a strategy. When I say we, I'm very loosely saying we, um, um, but our creative team has figured out a strategy to um, use Facebook again and, um, it's interesting, certain markets it's working in and certain markets it's not, but we have been in probably two thirds of our markets more successful in driving appointments than we ever were before. And so part of our, this is now part of that evolving strategy of understanding that not all channels are created equal in terms of, of their output. So what channels are great to, so we can say to our stylist, Hey, here's our spend and our effect for driving appointments to you. Um, 
And then here is our spin and effect and just driving up the, the overall voices that are talking about our brand every day. Awesome. Well, tell me about the size of the company. How many people are employed with you? And also, yeah, your growth. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, we have um, about 60 people overall. Um, we run um, We run a, what I like to say is... Um, uh, we're lean but strong, um, you know, because our stores and, and we're considering some different pop up strategies that that will change this a bit. But um, one of the best parts and the most challenging parts of our company is that we run our stores um, with uh, one to three stylists. We, we want you to develop those relationships. And so um, as a result, um, it allows us to, you know, to run our our um, revenue, main revenue generating side of our business, um, um, pretty lean. Um, we like to lean into them a lot. The challenge of that is, of course, though, is if you lose somebody or you hire incorrectly um, um, or somebody's poached, um, that uh, you then have that kind of relational gap and that skill gap. And one of the impetuses for orienting now so much of our scheduled growth or our planned growth behind what we call Alton Lane for you, the, the technology we've talked about, is that um, we believe it does two things. It, it, it allows the stylist to get up to speed quicker to fitting you, the customer, because, you know, t- to be able to do all of this by hand, we our, our head of training says it really is about a six to nine month process to like learn all of it. And that's a that's a hard thing, right? That's a long learning curve. And so we think that it creates a platform that allows them to get up to speed quicker. Um, and then at the same time, from a company perspective, it protects our growth because if we lose somebody for whatever reason, um, it allows us to hire somebody and very quickly kind of continue that. Um, and so, um, you know, in terms of I can't share revenue numbers, we've never done that. But in terms of growth, um, um, we had, um, prior to COVID that, that 2019 was about a 20%, 25% year growth for us, which was, which was okay. It, it was less than we were, um, hoping. And then of course the COVID years, um, were, uh, 20 through really through the end of 21, um, were clearly negative growth. And then, um, 22 was a great year for us. We bounced back. We had over 50% growth. Um, and then over the next two years, um, with our ability to enhance the number of customers that can get into our brand via this technology, um, we're scheduling, we'd like to see a 50% growth year over year, um, and, um, within our stores. And then we would really like to see a two to three X growth online. So, um, that's where our kind of biggest focuses are. And, um, anything we're going through the hard process now of anything that we believe cuts against that growth we're taking the hard decision to kind of ax that out of the day-to-day business. Yes. Profitable? We we are on a store level. We are profitable. If you look at our um, our e-commerce component, since it's so new, we're not profitable mm-hmm. there yet, but I do expect that to flip. And one of the benefits we have there is that um, for e-commerce, we're just not, we're not sitting on a lot of inventory. Um, and yes. so, you know, our metrics to profitability are different than a lot of our um, competitors. And with the scalability of it, I do think that when we 
we're scheduling a kind of a, a second phase of our program midway through the year. Um, that's going to make the, we're updating the graphics, the 3d visualizer, um, uh, create backend speed will actually be even quicker. Um, I would imagine that that will be what allows us to turn into profitability on our e-com channel. Nice. Well, last question, what else is to come in 2023? Great question. I just hit on some of it. Um, you know, if you look at our platform now, um, a lot of our customers are like, this is incredible. You know, I think all of us internally, have a little bit of a different view on it. We see where it is compared to where we're talking about it being. Um, so if you want, we're going to be updating the 3D visualizer and graphics, um, updating the, the option platform so that actually when you, if you click a, uh, a different type of lapel or a different option, it'll actually update in real time. Um, so all of the visuals and that customer experience are going to be um, uh, enhanced. The biggest thing that I am working on is we have a couple hundred options online that are in VR store through this platform that are available in two weeks. Um, we believe that the biggest sh consumer shift for our customer uh, post COVID is the DoorDash effect. People want what they want it when they want it. And the idea of waiting four weeks for anything at this point just kind of sounds insane. Um, and so we are working with our partners so that at some point in 2023, and I hope by the beginning of the second half of the year, the vast majority of our platform will be all on Alton Lane for you and will be at, at a two week delivery. Um, where I think we can create the biggest noise in the space is being the fastest deliverer for custom in the market. Um, and if we can do that, doesn't matter what your how much your you know balance sheet is or how good your marketing is. Um, for a large ship, that is a really really hard one to turn around once it's you know kind of moving at speed. And I think that that'll give us some. Not to say nobody else can do it. You just have to have the right partner and the right customers. And um, and I do think we have a leg up there. Um, so I think kind of summarizing the visual experience, the 3D experience for a customer the amount that's on the platform. And then um, by the middle of the year, um, you'll see an enhanced product set on platform, including kind of our full, what I call polished casual. Um, so those pieces that go with the blazer um, from our five pockets, chinos, shorts, um, uh, casual shirts, polos, those will all be on the platform and customizable as well. Amazing. A lot of growth, a lot of plans. What, oh my gosh, I have to ask, what, <laughs> what, what, suit, what suit have you made that has been, I don't know, most wild, most adventurous, like all these old people references, but like I'm picturing Rod Roddy. <laughs> oh, I love Rod Roddy. Yeah, there you go. Um, gosh, that brought back some memories. Um, so I'll give you two quick, I'll give you um, two quick stories. Um, one for kind of the wildest and one is the one that I'm most proud of. Um, so from um, the wildest perspective, um, uh, we have um, uh, we have a customer here and actually in our home market that there's just nothing that I think is too wild for him. Um, he has, he's a successful entrepreneur. Um, and if I wish I had an example near me, but, um, he always says like, I'm like, Hey, why don't you get more blazers from us? And he's like, you guys don't have stuff that's wild enough. And I, uh, my, my kids get married. I need something wild. And we would put out like fabrics that I think are 
I mean, just like, like probably even too wild to wear. And he's like, mm, doesn't really get there. Um, and so we brought out like these crazy, what would be like formal, fancy silk dinner jacket designs, uh, with every color and style and pattern. Um, and it was like bingo. Um, and most people would probably wear it as like a fun, funky lining. He just wears it straight up as the jacket. Um, and, uh, father of the groom, I, he can kind of do whatever he wants. So, um, the my my favorite moment um of suit making and there have been a number um but we had made um we had made a suit for um um uh president uh bush number 43 early on we're able to meet him it was very generous um with his time bought a couple suits from us um uh actually over my shoulder there uh is him uh wearing his suit with all the living presidents at his library dedication. Um, and yeah. he wrote, wrote on it really cool. He said, y'all are fine fitters. Um, <laughs> and so he was at a family event wearing it. And his father, HW, um, said, uh, he was 91 at the time and said, I think I need to get a good fit and suit. And so, um, I was invited up to Walker's point, um, in Maine to fit him. And, um, and there is a beautiful moment where at Barbara's funeral, there is a picture of him in his wheelchair and it's just him at the, the casket. And that was the suit we made for him for that, for that moment. And we found a, um, uh, we, we knew he was a war hero. His story is incredible. We looked up what um, regiment he was in and kind of what American flag they would have worn on their uniform at the time in World War II. We found one online and we actually stitched it in um, into the suit. And, um, and that was just a moment of like, it doesn't really matter what else happens, you know, like from a, that was a moment of history and to be a very, very small part of it was, it was just a really neat moment. It's one I always look at, um, kind of misty eyed. It was, it was, it was really cool. It's fun for, fun for our people and our team to be part of that. Honestly, I mean, exclusive partner of Beholden. What if next you'll be the exclusive outfitter of U.S. president? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hashtag exactly. goals. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that that would, uh, that that partnership would turn into the, uh, uh, such a, uh, uh, maybe div- one of division these days, but um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Do you, any women come in? I love a yeah. suit. Just wondering. We, yeah. we do. We actually. Um, so this is um, this is how we say it. Um, we um, we do not actively. We we did not set out to actively design for women. Um, that being said, uh, largely because we didn't know how, um, and um, and we. That being said, we have. I mean, we, we have hundreds, if not thousands of female customers that, um, we can, and we'll be very honest if we have a, if we have a, if our base patterns, if we believe they will fit well in the way you want them to fit, we'll give you the full thumbs up and it's the same guarantee. If we don't think that it's a right fit for what they're looking for, then we'll be honest on that. Um, and, um, but something we are going to be doing in 23 is, um, we are, um, we brought on a, a wonderful woman who's a technical designer for us now. She's been on for about six months and she has a background in women's wear. Um, and there are no promises, but we, we are actively testing around patterns for kind of a basic, um, I'll call it basic plus core plus women's tailored line. Um, you know, the more you look into it, that really hard to find a blazer, a suit jacket, a, a, a pair of pants, um, even, even a whole suit together that 
is not trendy, but is on trend and fits the way you want. And guess what? Women have the same issues we do. We're all different sizes. Some of our torsos are longer and, um, I would love to figure out how to do it. Um, um, and if we can, if we think we can do it and do it well, then yeah, we'll push on it. Um, so yeah, maybe check back at the end of the kind of end of second quarter and we'll see where we are. I will be your problem child. I'll be like the girl who has no shoulders fit me <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, Peyton, this was so, so much fun. fun. Thank, Thank you for being here. This was, this was great. Thank you so much. It was a real honor. It was so much fun. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.